0: The world distorts holy devotion as much as it can. Hello Hello, friends and welcome. Thanks so much for listening. In our last podcast, I talked about how there's this lie in the world that says God is hard to please. And in fact, God is easy to please and all He asks of us is that we accept His Son Jesus Christ, that we receive His Son. This is John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 from the Amplified Bible, and it says, "...but to as many as did receive and welcome Him, He gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God, that is, to those who believe in Him, adhere to, trust in, and rely on His name." who were born not of blood, natural conception, nor of the will of the flesh, physical impulse, nor of the will of man, that of a natural father, but of God, that is a divine and supernatural birth. They are born of God, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified. And so all God is looking for from us is that we receive His Son, And if you see who Jesus is, if you see this beautiful, good, wise, powerful king, of course you will receive him. Of course you will want him to reign over you. So in this podcast, I'd like to address another lie, perhaps related to the first one, that uh, God is hard to please. But the other lie is that devotion is not any fun, that devotion is a downer that being devoted to god is just kind of for people who like to suck on lemons and who who you know like to make life difficult and who don't want to enjoy this life and uh, nothing could be further from the truth and there's a great quote by uh Francis de Saul that I want to read that sums up this attitude he writes those who discouraged the israelites from going into the promised land told them that it was a country that devoured its inhabitants In other words, they said that the air was so malignant it was impossible to live there for long, and its natives such monsters that they ate humans like locusts. It is in this manner that the world distorts holy devotion as much as it can. It pictures devout persons as having discontented, gloomy, sullen faces and claims that devotion brings on depression and unbearable moods. But just as Joshua and Caleb held both that the promised land was good and beautiful and that its possession would be sweet and agreeable, so too the Holy Spirit by the mouths of all the saints and our Lord by his own mouth assure us that a devout life is sweet, happy, and lovable. And he goes on and he makes this analogy between honeybees that take the bitter nectar of thyme flowers, uh, T-H-Y-M-E flowers, and they take it out, and then they can change it into honey, because this is what God has made them to do. And he says, it is true that devout souls encounter great bitterness in their works of mortification, but by performing them, they change them into something more sweet and delicious. And he talks about uh, spiritual sugar, and um, devotion is true spiritual sugar, for it removes bitterness from discipline and anything harmful from our consolations. So in other words not only can a life of devotion make spiritual discipline sweet it can also protect us from the natural consolations that are in this world and make those things safe for us that there is no danger in the natural consolations the good things that God has created in his creation if we're living a life of devotion we're in no danger of being led astray by God's blessings because we're not seeking the blessings themselves we're just caught up and being in relationship with the blesser, with the giver, and not the gift. And any good gift of God can become dangerous to us if we prioritize it above our relationship with the Lord. You think of someone who wants to have a spouse and wants to have a family. Well, a spouse, a wife, or a husband, that's a good gift. The Bible says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing or receives favor from the Lord. But If someone were to prioritize that above their relationship with God, then that natural consolation, that good thing that God has put in the creation for us to enjoy and to take pleasure in, it then becomes a danger to us. And the same thing could be true of our relationship with our children or the way we relate to to anything in the creation. In the book Spiritual Classics, edited by Richard Foster and Emily Griffin, there's a selection by Thomas Merton and he's writing about contemplation. And he writes, There are so many Christians who do not appreciate the magnificent dignity of their vocation to sanctity, to the knowledge, love, and service of God. There are so many Christians who do not realize what possibilities God has placed in the life of Christian perfection, what possibilities for joy in the knowledge and love of Him. And he goes on and he he writes about contemplation. But then, A little bit later in this selection, he talks about one condition, and he writes, "...but there is only one condition. If you desire intimate union with God, you must be willing to pay the price for it. The price is small enough. In fact, it's not even a price at all. It only seems to be so with us. We find it difficult to give up our desire for things that can never satisfy us in order to purchase the one good in whom there is all our joy." and in whom, moreover, we get back everything else that we have renounced besides. That reminds me of the C.S. Lewis quote. He wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that's from The Weight of Glory. You know, Jesus said that he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we misunderstand what life is when we think that it's about having stuff and having stuff more abundantly. And this is the great tragedy of people who want to distort the gospel and use the gospel as a means of financial gain, like Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where God becomes a genie in a bottle or Santa Claus in the sky, and I use God to accomplish my ends. I use God to get the career I want, to get the life I want, instead of realizing everything I could possibly want is in Him. And if I have union with Him, I have everything that I could ever possibly want or need or desire. And to realize all of our longings are fulfilled in Christ. And so a life of devotion is a life of joy, a life of satisfaction. And that's different than a life of comfort and ease. I'm not saying it's a life of comfort and a life of ease, but those two things are different. And the world would try and tell us that the life of devotion is is a difficult, painful life, when in fact the life of jevo- devotion is a satisfying, joyful life. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter writes, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." In the King James Version, it says, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So, we know Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we know that everyone has trouble in this life. No one gets to this life without having trouble. It doesn't matter what situation you're born into. In this world, you will have tribulation but we take heart because Christ has overcome the world and it's in our union in Christ that we enjoy overcoming the world as well, where Paul says that we are more than conquerors. We're more than overcomers through our union with Jesus Christ. Praise God. Let's keep reminding ourselves of these things and dive into the bliss and the pleasure and the joy that is union with Jesus. God bless you. Thanks for listening.